The 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast, hosted by 360 Energy. Michelle Brannigan is the Chief Executive Officer of Electricity Human Resources Canada, also known as EHRC. Recognized as an HR leader in the electricity industry, she works closely with industry stakeholders to address their specific labor market and HR challenges, ensuring they have the tools, resources, and data needed to build a world-class electricity workforce. Originally from Ireland, Brannigan holds a master's degree in training and performance management from the University of Leicester and is a certified project management professional. Now let's get into the episode with Michelle. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you, Lysandra. And again, Mr. Pooley has gone missing in action. I think he's on vacation again, that lucky guy. But I'm looking forward to this, another exciting podcast for our listeners. Me too. And I thought he promised us that we could join him this time. You know what? You're right. Like what? <laughs> Okay, we got to fix that. All right. Next time we'll get him. For sure. Today, we're excited to be joined by Michelle Brannigan, CEO at Electricity Human Resources Canada. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here talking to you both today. Well, thanks for joining us. If we could start off this episode, can you give us a background on what Electricity Human Resources Canada is? I I can, absolutely. Our vision at uh, EHRC is really to work and to build a world-class electricity workforce. And that's the workforce that's going to power our nation's grid, ensure reliability, and support a clean economy for future generations. And we do that working with our partners, our employers, our educators, our policymakers, and others in the industry who are all looking to ensure that we meet our goals. Primarily what we do is we deliver the critical business labor market intelligence to inform those labor market decisions around workforce planning and lead the industry to make sure that we have and can keep a very safe, skilled and inclusive workforce. And we do that by translating the labor market intelligence that we gather uh, that really sets the roadmap for what we do as an organization and translate that into practical uh, solutions to support the industry, whether that is through looking at uh, apprenticeship, um, if it's looking at succession planning and knowledge management, developing skills and competencies, supporting work integrated learning in the industry. There's a wide array of things that we actually do to work with the industry to ultimately support that uh, that end goal. Thanks, Michelle. Michelle, I have to tell you, I, you said some magic words to me, world class. Uh, And that is what I think Canadians should strive for in this market, because yes, the electricity market's been around for years, but there's going to be a need and more uh, requirements uh, because I was, depending on who you talk to and depending on what part of the country, we could be doubling our electricity generation and transmission distribution requirements. And I also know formally, because I was with a large utility many years ago at the time was Ontario Hydro, there's a large demographics of skill set that is actually retiring, a massive amount of retirement going Mm -hmm. on. So not only do we have to increase this infrastructure, but we also have a a large group that is retiring and that have to be replaced. And, And that you know, that that itself is a, a challenge, let alone the massive growth. So I'm so pleased. It's actually timely that we're, we're talking to you because it, it is a hot topic. And and I don't think as we talked prior to the this actual podcast starting, I think most Canadians, North Americans take electricity for granted. We it's cheap, it's pretty reliable. 
And so I think now we've got some things ahead of us that may be a burden, some people might say, but I would say opportunity for us to lead and lead the world. So here's here's my question for you. Where will the job opportunities be in the sector based on the research that you're doing? Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, David, you, you touched on a number of different points there. Just to, again, providing context, which I think is, is so important. Uh, the industry is uh, was in a steady state for many decades, right? It wasn't an industry that moved very fast. And then 10, 15 years ago, we saw the introduction of more renewable energy, for example. And, and here we are now in 2023, where we're looking at building out the electricity grid two to three times its current size. So that's a nation building exercise that we haven't really uh, seen in many decades. Definitely not since the, learned, learned, uh, the early 80s. Combine that with what I've been calling a bit of a demographic time bomb, where the reality is in Canada, not just in the electricity sector, but in many, and many right across the country, province to province to province, uh, many industries are struggling uh, with the fact that we've just at that stage demographically where many people are looking to retire. We're just coming out of a pandemic as well. And we don't know yet if that has made a real difference in the decision of some people to retire earlier. In the electricity sector, we already did have a cohort that retired earlier uh, than the average. But I'm hearing anecdotally that is the issue. Think of our tradespeople who've been out there, you know, front-facing jobs, starting to get to sort of 55, 58, and everything that's gone over the last few years. I hear many that are talking about retirement and taking retirement early. We are actually going to be conducting our next labor market intelligence study. We're actually just gone in the field just this last week. And I'm going to be releasing the data on that in September. So that's really going to tell us where are our challenges? What is the supply demand gap? What are the critical occupations that are really now again under pressure or increased pressure? And what are the demographic, what is the demographic makeup of our industry? So very excited to hear that. But but think about that demographic time bomb. Think about that need to electrify Canada two to three times and think about all the technological innovation that is taking place in the industry. So you think about small modular reactors, right, which is something very top of mind right now. Uh, think about cyber security and the challenges that that throws up, again, not just in our industry. And then very simple example is to think about electrical vehicles and the policies that have been put in place to ensure that that people are driving EVs as much as possible. That's going to have an impact on the grid, even from a skills and competencies perspective, because we need to be able to ensure that when those people go home at night and plug in their EV, they're not going to blow a transformer. So there's going to be a need to look at jobs, not only to manage our legacy systems, the systems that have been around for many, many years, think of our, our hydro dams, et cetera, and they're not going to go away, but you've also going to have new and evolving jobs within the industry from generation transmission distribution all along the supply chain. So, you know, David, you mentioned opportunity there. You know, a lot of what we talk about sometimes can sound like sky is falling, 
we're going to have these huge <laughs> challenges and where are we going to find people and we're going to be in a very competitive environment environment you know the war for talent really is here right now um but at the same time for me that provides an opportunity to innovate to generate more interest in the sector um especially across that next generation talent people who haven't worked traditionally in the sector as well too we still have work to do in that area so a wide array of jobs and and something that i think is important to to uh, know is that there are so many different types of jobs in this industry the depth and breadth uh, of the sector is something that I don't think is necessarily well known. I know a lot of people, when you talk about the electricity sector, they think about the iconic power line worker, right? You think of the storms are down, those are the people who are in the field front and center. Or they maybe think, I need an electrician. But they don't think about cybersecurity. They don't think about EV installers. And so, and while many of our jobs, the majority of our jobs are STEM related or our technical jobs or trades jobs, there are also jobs in research and development. Look at what we're trying to do with battery storage in the regulatory environment, in legal, in accounting. And there are people who have, have those skill sets and those backgrounds who sometimes we forget are, are still very passionate about wanting to work in our sector. So, so there's a really great story that we have to tell in the sector. But to my mind, we're still not maybe doing as good of a job. Uh, as we should be in relation to communicating those opportunities. I, I, I have to tell you, I couldn't agree with you more about the opportunities because again, being from the industry from the past, I see the world changing where not only will we have these traditional, you know, centralized generation and transmission, but then you'll have distributed energy resources where customers will start generating their power. So there'll be needs and requirements even for customers to actually be more mindful of that. So yeah, it's it's quite frankly, I find it's an exciting time to be in the industry for sure. Now I'm staying with the same question if I could, and that is how do we attract, what are, what are your thoughts? How are we going to attract more people to these jobs? Have you cracked that? How, how are we going to do that? Oh, that's the magic. That's the magic uh, question. If I could crack that, I would be really popular. It's a question on the mind of everybody working in the sector right now. And, and you know, we've been doing this for about 18 years and I've often challenged leaders to really focus in on the people side of the equation because it's very easy to get excited about new projects, new technology. But at the end of the day, you need the people to be able to do that. It's the people who are leading the innovation, who are managing building and ensuring the resiliency of the grid. Right now, we are in the tightest labor market that we have seen since the early 70s, extremely tight. I've heard people say, check on your neighbors because we don't know where everybody has, has gone. So there's a lot of things that we need to do, uh, again, from a storytelling perspective to uh, attract that next uh, generation of talent. I think, that, again, there's opportunities. Youth representation in this industry is actually quite low. Uh, we'd, uh, we've done quite a body of work on this. Only 5% of the electricity workforce um, is under 25. I'm really looking forward to seeing if that number has changed uh, in our next LMI. Um, but that's compared to almost 11% in all other industries. So we see a gap there. And again, many young people aren't aware of the benefits that the sector actually offers, and they don't understand that breadth of careers that are available. We did a body of work called a Generation Impact. This was a, a body of research we did a couple of years ago, and we went out to talk to Gen Z and millennials about what they knew about the industry. 
And a lot of people just do not know about the sector unless they have a mom or a dad or an uncle or a cousin or somebody or even a neighbor who actually works in it. And so while young people now very much support the big changes that are going to address climate change, and that's zero carbon future. So think again, electrical cars, renewable energy technology and so on. The challenge is that they're not connecting those big vision actions with actual work in the industry and all of those jobs that actually exist outside of uh, the PLT or the electrical engine engineers. So if you think about the demographic or the makeup of our industry right now, only 26% of our workers are women. If you go to the trades, that drops to single digits, unfortunately. The proportion of Indigenous people working in the electricity sector is still under 5%, and it's the same with, with other underrepresented groups. We're going to absolutely require um, folks from overseas. Immigration is going to be absolutely necess uh, a necessity to build our, our employment needs, for example. Um, so we need to look at all of those underrepresented groups and see how can we draw those folks to work in this sector. One of the things that really does resonate is about climate change, is about a cl clean economy. We know that young people are really passionate about this area. But again, it's just trying to connect the dots and show them uh, the opportunities that exist that out there that are out there. On the recruitment side, you know, I'm seeing employers doing a wide array of initiatives to try and get people in the in the door, whether that is referral bonuses, hiring bonuses, uh, retention bonuses and the likes. So that those are some of the things getting out into the schools. I think we need to start the conversation about our industry uh, earlier uh, than we are. Uh, I think we need to go down even into primary school uh, level, for example. That's going to be important so that we're 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 educating young people from a very early age to think about jobs in the sector. But I also think we have an opportunity to talk to key influencers, David. So you think about the teachers, you think about parents who often are the ones who are talking to their kids around the dinner table about the types of jobs that they should be studying and looking at. And, you know, there's still gaps there. We still have teachers that don't talk about the trades, for example, um, or don't see that the trades are a really viable uh, option for kids to go into. Uh, and I could tell you some stories about that. We have teachers who, you know, just have so many things thrown at them. So the whole, the, the, the guidance council piece is very difficult. And they're dealing with mental health challenges in schools and things like that. So what can we do to try and break down those barriers? We need to get to parents. You know, it's amazing. Every parent wants their child to go to university. And I'm not knocking university in any shape, way or form. You know, we want to get people into electrical engineering programs and on all the rest of it. But we also want to people to think of the wide array of trades jobs that are out there as well, too. So there's all sorts of things that we need to do uh, from an education standpoint to, to support that recruitment and retention piece. I so, could talk a little. Sorry, I'll go ahead. I'll pause. I was going to say we were talking again prior to this recording of this podcast, and we were actually for our listeners. Michelle is the reason why this podcast actually occurred because Lysandra, who was working with us in a co-op program, was because of Michelle's organization, and and hence we've been doing this podcast. Lysandra's the executive producer, so we were saying, Michelle, you're actually the cause of why we're doing this podcast, and hopefully. The information we're doing will educate people. So I think I do want to say this. I do think the youth is the future of our industry. I think uh, we have to do a better job 
you know, doing that. And you're absolutely right. People, leaders speaking out, whether it's in public school, energy forums, whatever that might be, I think that would be really important to attract young people. I think they are the future and I think they can move things fairly quickly. So I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah, I also want to add, you know, Michelle, as you said that, that not many, you know, Gen Z are entering the electricity space, I was kind of thinking of my graduating class of 90. So I graduated from electrical engineering in 2020 at the University of Windsor. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, am I the only one that works at an electricity utility? Yes, to my knowledge. Even I'm thinking natural gas, I don't think anyone really entered that industry. And I think it really is because in school, we really didn't focus too much on energy. You learn about, you know, the the back matter of all the things that energy comes from, but we didn't exactly focus on the careers in energy. If it wasn't for my first internship at a power plant, I probably would have never been introduced to the sector. And that's kind of what drove, you know, I still explored the automotive industry. I wanted to see, you know, what are my opportunities? And then when I sat down and thought about, okay, longevity and career-wise, what is always going to be around? Electricity. Electricity is going to be fundamental for the rest of my life, for sure. So that's kind of where I sat and I thought, and I was like, this is something I care about. It impacts everybody. This is a great career choice. But not a lot of people have that opportunity to explore the energy industry or are exposed to it. And I really do think that's where the gap is. I I agree. I, I think by engaging Canadian youth while they're still in school in, you know, that K to 12 system, yeah. if we can encourage them to think about decarbonization and explore how they can play a role in leading Canada to a greener future, that builds that pathway. It's a pathway of knowledge, right, for them yeah. so that they can make the more informed decisions. And I know I have a 14 year old and I, I talk, I have a lot of young nieces and nephews and, you know, we talk about climate change and they're very, passionate and get very indignant when things don't go the way they think they should be going. So I think we need to capture that in our industry. And, you know, there's so many different things to do. I'm really excited. We have a project underway that's called Greening a Generation, and we're actually developing these gymnasium sized maps. We're working with Canadian Geographic. And we're actually going to be developing these. These will map out the Canadian electricity grid in an entirety and they're huge and the kids will you know take off their shoes and they'll be on their socks and they'll be able to go across and they'll have their phones and they'll be able to with using QR codes scan a QR code and then a video will pop up and it'll be we're going we're across the country right now doing 75 videos of people working in the industry in all sorts of jobs technical, legal, the trades. And so the kids will actually be able to see what is it like and somebody talking about their passion for working in the industry and they'll be able to see where is nuclear, where is hydro, where where is wind installations. And the kids will, the teachers will do some exercises with them, of course. And it's all about educating them at that 10, 11, 12, 13 year age uh, cohort to think about it because it's really important. We are a a very technical industry. Uh, Math and science is really important for a lot of the occupations in the sector. And so with that, we want to make sure that the kids are focused in on those as well. But again, it's just that knowledge and that passion and getting them excited about what they can do to be part of Canada's clean energy future and addressing climate change, which really is one of the most um, pressing issues that we're, you know that we're dealing with right now. So, can I, can I also add this whole education piece? Whether you're going to be in the industry, which I know that's our focus, 
but it also helps if they get exposure in a younger age. So when they're in industry in some capacity, that they actually understand that energy is there's a role that they can play. It doesn't matter if they're an accountant or human resources, like there's a role that they can play. And I, I, I think that's something that most people don't understand that that society can play a role. You you don't have to just supply it. You can actually, mm-hmm. you know, what you do out of your home or what you do in your business is a big impact on on the energy industry as well, or carbon in general as well. And I think I think the consumers, we do do have work to do still for the end user. We talked a little about this before we came on air with the whether it's app price point or or whatever but more people are taking control and educating themselves about what they can do behind the meter in regards to the energy usage etc right so i think there there is a growing awareness there that we need to build on now and one of the things again and i I mentioned it a little a little bit at the beginning is that all other industries are experiencing labor market challenges right now as well the labor market is tight for everybody. The majority of jobs, occupations in the Canadian electricity are portable in and out of the sector, right? So we could lose people to other industries. Or, Lissandra, as you say, you can graduate with an electrical engineering degree. That does not necessarily mean you are going to go into the Canadian electricity industry. You may go elsewhere. So there's an opportunity for us to to really talk about that and ensure that there is a pathway, a very clear pathway um, for people to come in the industry. There's only about four occupations that are strictly electricity related. So think of the power line technician or your system operator or think of a a nuclear operator. But the rest of them are portable in and out. So what are we doing to attract and retain and keep them? And what, what is the story that we're going to tell? So we can talk about working conditions, you know, whether you have a hybrid work model or, you know, great pension plans and all the rest of it, workforce culture, because we know that young people especially are looking for things, you know, very specific things going from an employer right now. But I think the storytelling component, getting somebody to think passionately about what they want to do, how they want to make a difference, those are things that we know resonate with young people right now. Thanks, Michelle. What types of employers are looking for a workforce that support low carbon economy in comparison to the past? I think that when you look at the types of employers, you've got, again, you've got your legacy system, you've got your traditional industry. David, you've worked in the sector, so you know you've got your big generators or your distribution companies, etc. You've also got many hundreds of small renewable companies that have opened and uh, evolved over the last decade on wind and solar and energy storage. You know, when I go out now, I'm asked to speak at uh, conferences by the electrical vehicle uh, industry folks. Now, that is an an industry that is attracting a lot of young people. I actually felt old at the last event that I went to. It was wonderful to see I walked in and there was a ton of young people under 35. So it was very invigorating and exciting to see, okay, young people are coming to this industry. They're passionate about it. I love that. So I would say, you know, all the employers, Lysandra, are, are very focused on climate change. It's almost a business pillar within all the organizations. It is, in fact, in how they look at running their businesses in the electricity sector because it's been driven by a societal change. It's been driven by that that societal push that we need to do something and electricity plays such a huge role. You know, we do have one of the cleanest electricity grids in the world. That is something that we can be incredibly proud of. We have more to do. 
we're going to electrify more. Obviously, electrification, uh, a huge way to support our climate change goals. So there's still more opportunities. But I think, again, it just goes back to some of the conversation we've had about the depth and breadth of opportunities. Employers in this industry are passionate about the sector. They're proud to work in this sector and they really want to drive that agenda forward. So I, I, I don't think there's a lack of opportunity from an employment perspective by in way of, of employers. Michelle, are employers responsible for, for funding the workforce that leads us to this low carbon economy? What would be your opinion on that? I, I, I do, absolutely. I think employers have a major role to play. So is that ensuring that workers who are being impacted by changes in policy, whether, you know, at a government level, for example, or by technology, they have absolutely have a role, David, to play uh, in supporting an employee's transition to new jobs, right? whether that's through upskilling or reskilling. And so, of course, that that begins with an identification of those who are actually going to be impacted. You know, one example there that I could provide is, you know, workers who were working in coal generation for many years. And of course, coal is rapidly being phased out of, you know, most provinces, remaining provinces that have coal. It's been gone in Ontario for, for quite a long time. In Alberta, we saw over 3,000 uh, workers displaced as a result of government policy change over the last few years. Very quick change as well, too. And of course, when people lose their jobs like that, it's not just the individual, it's the family, it's the local communities, it's that trickle-down effect that it can have. That can be a devastating impact from a societal perspective. So absolutely, employers need to be watching for that. They need to ensure that they provide opportunities for skills development, continuous learning, and very clear communication as to the goals and the direction of the organization. I think that's really important. But I do want to also say that I think there's a really important role here for government, both at the provincial and the federal uh, level as well, to also get involved and to be aware uh, of the ramifications of some of those decisions from a policymaking perspective, right? I think that's important. And then finally, I would position it that the individual also, I'm, and I'm always very clear and very blunt on this, but I also think as individuals, we need to take ownership and managing our own careers and our own uh, skill set and ensuring that we're keeping our skill set current. I really think continuous development is something that is, is sort of the name of the game right now. You know, we can't graduate anymore. You can't get your ticket or your CFQ, your certificate of qualification, and then think you're done. I'm done. I'm good now for the rest of my career. That is not the, the world of work. I was going to say the future of work, but you know what? The future of work is here. Yeah. not 10 years out anymore and COVID has really accelerated all the expectations around what does that work look like and what does the workplace look like and what are the expectations goes a little bit back David to your question about how do we recruit people that world of work is something that is very much top of mind for employers right now as well too but when it comes to the skills perspective I think it's a little bit of everybody right, right. we also need to be looking at is my job does that job look like it's going to be phased out? Is there something that I need to do to remain current? Do I need to take another program? What do I need to be doing internally? Am I talking to my manager, my supervisor about my career path and what that potentially could look like? So it's a little bit of everything. It is very funny because when I do talk to employers or I talk to policymakers or educators and we ask this question, everybody points 
at each other in regards to whose responsibility it actually is. Again, I, I'm in total agreement. I, I think certainly the person has to take constant effort and responsibility and uh, the employer, because things are changing so quickly. If you don't have a trained and educated workforce, you're not going to be productive. And and certainly government, I think we've discussed this, Lysandra, where you know there's things that you were exposed to in engineering, but there's a lot of things that you weren't exposed to in the energy industry that you wouldn't have known because of the education system. So there's a lot sure. of work that we can do to make improvements for sure. I think the current government and the focus on, and Lysandra, you mentioned the, the Work Integrated Learning, our Empowering Futures program. So there has been a tremendous investment in development of, of young people, for example, through a lot of the programs that are underway right now. And EHRC, obviously, as you, as you mentioned, we're, we're a partner with the federal government where we are looking to ensure that employers and support and encourage employers to to hire and take on co-op students, to provide internship opportunities, to be able to, and, it, and that does a great thing. And we provide wage subsidies on, along a, a number of different pathways, whether you're a co-op student, you're a worker in transitioning from a new industry, that's a new program that we have, whether you're trying to hire apprentices and first-year apprentices, we have a wide array of opportunities to support employers financially there. But for me, it's, 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 it's trying to ensure that employers are doing it as part and parcel of their business model, of their culture, providing opportunities to students to get the experience that they need while they're studying. And what a wonderful way to also build out your talent pipeline, okay. to get a student to come in, to, to work with you as an organization, to see how you work. And, and I, ideally, you know, you're in a, an employer of, of choice for those graduates when they're finished school and they're actually looking for a job. I think it's a wonderful symbiotic way to, to build a, a talent pipeline. Something we've touched on, but I guess not explicitly said, is job security. And I think being early in my career, I've had the ability to kind of read up on what jobs are secure before I started. But for other workers, that's not the case. They've been in their job for about 20 years and now with a low carbon future, maybe their jobs are beginning to phase out. So what do we need to do to support workers to transition from high carbon emission jobs to those in clean energy or low carbon? Yes, that's a really good question. And, and it, it refers a little bit to the the jobs I spoke to with the, the coal jobs as an example. And another easy one to remember is meter readers here in Ontario. A few years back, oh. you would have meter readers, right? They're all gone. That job doesn't we're, exist We're short anymore. meter readers, everyone. We are short meter readers. We, I, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's completely the jobs are evolving, right, as a result of technology change. It's not that we're going to rip all of them apart and they're going to change completely, but they are evolving and there's different expectations. A few years ago, what we actually did at EHRC is we, we started a journey to map out every task, every skill, every competency and occupation in the electricity industry required to keep the lights on at the end of the day. And so we have we have what we call mapped and it's a competency framework that allows us to see with a high degree of, of clarity what competencies are required for the sector across all of the occupations. So it allows you to take a deep dive into different roles to see which jobs, which roles share competencies with other oh. roles. 
And it's a really a, a very different way of looking at how we do, you know, job descriptions. This actually allows for efficiencies of training and upskilling initiatives that an employer may be doing because they're realizing that as they do their broader workforce planning, they need to transition staff from one role to another. Again, in the event of one role disappearing, think a thermal coal worker, for example, and there's common language in there and it allows for better informed pay equity discussions as people move across roles. It informs training and curriculum development plans, uh, custom job descriptions, um, and it allows them people then to look at the competency stacks, what we call competency stacks. You know, it's very interesting. When we started doing the, the research, we started to explore some of ex the experimental occupations. So a few years ago, when we actually started their work, there was a lot of buzz around energy storage technicians and smart grid specialists, even EV charging station installers. So we started this work about three years ago. And as we dug deeper, we realized that there weren't actually, those occupations didn't actually exist at the time the the function of the role was actually being performed by other existing technicians mm. technologists or electricians and 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 things are being cobbled together as, as employers said to her we're kind of pulling from job descriptions to try and pull together what those roles actually look like but now we're actually starting to see those occupations are emerging with those titles, with those competencies. So we have energy storage technicians, we have EV charging station installers, smart grid specialists. So we're just starting, and, and right now we're just starting to explore what does that mean and what is the impact going to be from uh, the focus on small modular reactors? So what's the impact going to be on, on the skills landscape, right? And workforce planning, because of course the federal government is investing in, in that area. So looking at transitioning workers, looking at their current skill sets and the competencies that they have from their experience in, in their sector or in other industry, and then being able to map out that potential career path, I think is groundbreaking. I think that's really important to be able to, to navigate that because many people won't go into an industry now and the way that they did before, where they stay 30 years in the same job. Yeah. That, that, People don't necessarily want to do that. They want career path. They want to be, and that may be horizontally, that may be vertically. They, but they, you know, the anticipation is that they may have, and very likely will have, maybe five different careers within their career path. Ideally, what we would like to see is make sure that they stay in the electricity sector, regardless of what that looks like. A really good setup for the next question for you, Michelle. And then what are the skills required for those who are looking to work in the low carbon economy? Well, I think the technical skills is, is pretty straightforward, to be honest, David, right? I, I, I do encourage young people or anyone, even those who are transitioning. We have a lot of people who are transitioning from one industry who are excited about potentially looking in the sector and they may be, you know, in their mid 40s and they're looking for a new career and think that this is, a, you know, the electricity sector or the energy sector is the place is the place to go. So I think from a technical standpoint, it's pretty straightforward investigate, look at the career opportunities that are out there, look at the types of jobs, 
do your homework. I always say that to young people, especially teenagers, because sometimes the parents are doing the work for them. And I'm like, no, you need to do some of the homework yourself, right? That's really important. So we're going to require, of course, you know, our electrical engineers, our civil engineers, our technicians, our technologists, a wide array of trades, whether it's the power line technicians or the, you know, boiler makers and welders, because again, we're on a, a, a nation building exercise that is going to include a wide array of trades within the sector on that build. Uh, I like to focus on what we're calling the professional skills in the sector, oftentimes in the past called, you know, soft skills, communication, critical thinking, uh, leadership skills. I would say if you are really looking to to set yourself apart, being able to demonstrate those types of skills is incredibly important. We know that employers are looking for people with the ability to hit the ground running. It's not like it was 20 years ago where you had the time, you often had the time to learn those skill sets when you got into the job and it might take you a year or two, but employers really want people where the pace of work now is so fast. The pace of change is so fast. So those professional skills, incredibly important. And I hear employers say this to me over and over again to my and to my team when there is a a, a, a disconnect or something that has not worked out with a new employee, it is very, very, very rarely to do with technical skills. It's to do with their ability to get involved with the team or to communicate and all those other types of things, right? Or their ability to collaborate. So I would say your professional skills, time management, communication, absolutely essential. And if you can demonstrate that you have those skill sets, going for an interview or looking to move into the industry, those are really important to have. Michelle, I want to add to that because I think when I was starting to apply to my first career job, I was reading job postings and I was thinking, oh, I'm so unqualified for this, but I would still apply and I'd be so surprised by the amount of interviews that I got and even job opportunities that I got, even though I had a lack of experience. And I think what really was prevalent and, you know, talking to my HR department after my, you know, I got the position, it was my personal skills, my professional skills that really shone in comparison. There were people with way more years of experience than me in those interviews, but at the end of the day, they wanted a well-rounded employee. And I think like me and my friends talk about this all the time. If you have the personality to learn and you have the ambition to learn and the passion to learn, it doesn't matter what your background is you will be more successful than someone who does not have that passion. So I really think that that's what's changing in the industry, especially for employers. I think they're valuing that a lot more. So I do think that if you have that sort of personality, you're pretty much set in this industry right now. I could not agree more. Give me work ethic. Give me somebody who's passionate, excited, willing to learn. I will rate that higher than whether you have a PhD or not. That is absolutely, to me, the most important thing. And I'm hearing that resonating over and over again. We're talking about an industry that is changing much more quickly than it has in the past. It has to be agile. It has to be adaptable. And so we need a workforce that can also be adaptable, that can pivot, that can be innovative, that that are, are willing to think outside the box and try different things. And to be able to do that is in and of itself very much a skill set. Right. And the expectations, again, of employees 
they want to make sure that they are bringing in people who are going to be able to lead the generate the the generation of the future, lead the organizations of the future, right? Yeah, I think that's underpitched as well. Like when I talk to students in university and they ask, you know, what's your advice? And uh, that's what I emphasize. They're really taken back by it. But I'm like, we're all graduating with the same degree. We all have the same piece of paper. What sets you apart from that piece of paper? And it usually falls back on those professional skills. Yeah, as an employer in the energy industry, I it's it's so perfect what you've suggested. It, it's really about attitude and the ability that want to change and what like ha, like bring it on. Give me a challenge. I'm ready for it. Not you know running from challenges because that's what we're filled with life. So I I again echo that's it's so true and it's it's not that easy to find people that have that type of characteristic, by the way. So anyhow, I, I'm in total agreement. I, I the, the next question I have, and this is the final one for me, Michelle, for you, is what are the challenges you're seeing in the workforce working towards this low carbon economy? Maybe we've already touched on it earlier, but what, what do you think are some of the challenges for the workforce? Yeah, well, we talked about the retirements. So more than one in five uh, Canadians right now, working adults are nearing retirement. So again, that's a massive demographic shift that's going to create, is already creating challenges for our workforce. That's going to continue in the coming decade. And at the same time, of course, our training needs, as we've talked about, are evolving and employers are looking to to upskill or reskill their their teams. We've talked a little bit about the expectations of employees to make sure that they're job ready. But one of the things that's also important to remember is that there's long lead times to full competency in many roles in this industry. So we've talked a lot about the technical the technical jobs. You know, you think a nuclear operator, it's up to 10 years for full competencies. Power line technicians, we hear anything from four to eight years for full competency in their in their role. And safety, of course, is a huge ongoing culture within the within the sector. It's the most important thing. So we need to make sure that we when we're looking at all of those jobs and occupations, we're looking at that that length of time. So full competency means that we really need to be having this conversation now. We're not a just in time industry. Uh, so we need to be ensuring that we're keeping on top of our labor market needs. Uh, and again, we're, we're operating and competing with every other industry that is actually out there. Um, but that is very important because that that competency piece that provides a, a really particular challenge that I think is unique to this sector that many others don't experience. In order to be able to plan for big changes, we need to be able to plan those five years in advance minimum if we're starting to, to, to from scratch to train new workers, right? And so again, that is going to take coordination from employers, from labor, from our union folks, from our policymakers and our educators to make sure that we do have an electricity system that is reliable, that is resilient, and that is safe. Because at the end of the day, the availability of a skilled workforce is integral to our ability to meet our climate change needs. So those are some of the things that when I think about the challenges that come top of mind for me. And again, we need to we need to compete. We need to tell our story better, bigger, talk about the opportunities in the sector. And I do think, you know, a lot of organizations need to focus in on the diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
So DEI is a big component. I have many, many graduates that I talk to and they take the time now. It fascinates me and it encourages me. But when they're looking at working for an organization, they're going online. They're looking at the board of directors. They're reading those annual reports and they want to ensure that there's a place for them in that organization. So I think there's a real opportunity for organizations to look at building more diverse and inclusive workforces to ensure that we're actually drawing and from a recruitment perspective, drawing in um, employees who can see themselves working in those organizations and really reflect the social fabric of Canada and what that actually looks like. There's a big body of work to be done in that arena in the Canadian electricity industry. Michelle, this has been a great episode. To end this off, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? I would say that the biggest takeaway is if you're an employer, we need to act now. We do not have a just-in-time industry. Ensuring that you have the people in place to support our transition to a clean economy needs to be part of your most critical discussions as part of your business strategy. It needs to be front and center. It's not an add-on in any shape, way or form. At the end of the day, if we don't have the people in place, it uh, doesn't matter how good your technology is or how exciting some of the other uh, things that you're doing are. I would say support that next generation of talent. If you have not invested in supporting students and interns, that is such a valuable opportunity for you to avail of. Keep in mind that I, I think one of the most important things is it's that it's going to be a combined approach. I don't think any one stakeholder group or constituency group is going to be able to do it on their own. I think employers need to be talking to post-secondary educational institutions. The, the training, our educators need to understand what are the skills and competencies that employers need? What are the jobs that are going to be there so that they're developing and delivering curricula that is appropriate for our needs to build a, a low carbon economy and make sure that they are current. And I would say as a takeaway, well, I'm going to give a shout out to EHRC because we are doing so many wonderful things to really support our industry because I see that as our role. It really is to facilitate the work that is required within our industry, to work with our partners, to work with our employers, our educators, etc., to support our employers' needs at the end of the day. And so if there are things that employers are looking to do, contact us because we may be doing it all already. And our, our job is to make your life easier, to make sure that you have the workforce that, uh, that you, you're going to need and help you get there. Thanks, Michelle. Dave, what's your biggest takeaway? I believe for Canada's future competitiveness that this sector is going to be absolutely critical that we get this right and we get it right as quickly and the best we can. Because Michelle said this really earlier, like Canada's got this advantage. We've got the cleanest grid in the world. There's exceptions for a couple of provinces, but we have the cleanest grid We've got um, minerals to make batteries. I think we have over 40 some odd type of minerals out of 51. But we need to have an infrastructure and we have to have smart people to run this because because if we don't do it, other countries will. And I think it's an economy and growth and, and the wealth of this country that's really important. So I see the labor force in the energy sector as being a critical leg to the success of Canada in general for the wealth of this country. 
I think it's so important. And Michelle, I thank you so much for for being online, sharing your your thoughts. Like uh, the key word is we have to be world class. Summary. Absolutely. Thank you, David. For me, I think from the employee standpoint, I just want to emphasize, know your worth and diversify your skills. I think we're in a market where as employees, we actually have the power if you have the skills. So even if you're in the electricity sector or not in the electricity sector and looking to get into it, I think as long as you have the skills, believe in yourself, apply to jobs and get into the sector for sure. All right. Thanks, Michelle and Dave, for your time. Thank you. Great, great conversation. As the industry leading the charge to bring reliable, renewable, clean energy to Canadians, EHRC is committed to defining the talent investments and best-in-class HR practices to empower a world-class electricity workforce that thrives on innovation. Visit electricityhr.ca to access HR resources for our industry, including research reports, toolkits, video awareness and training modules, events, webinars, and financial incentives for employers, including wage subsidies for hiring newcomers to Canada, workers transitioning from other sectors, students, and apprentices.